I've got some cheese, and that makes me super happy. What is Darren gonna do? Si me gusta pollo. It's Tuesday, August 23rd. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast. Welcome. The show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Campbell, and Aaron Bewley. It's episode 263. Tyler's out. He's inundated with work right now. It's myself, Aaron Bewley. It's Russ Campbell. And then we've got the Darren Zook on the line with us too, man. Welcome. What's going on, guys? Does he have a title outside of like just Zook, which I think is a legit title? Is he like our field Apple correspondent he or is. He, senior field <laughs> senior correspondent field Apple. Yeah. Apple correspondent? I don't know if we have, I don't know that we have a lot of Apple news today, at least that I saw. We do, dude, today yeah. in tech history. Oh, we do? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's perfect. a little quiz. I'm going to hit y'all with two of them. There's Let's one go. for today and there's one for yesterday. The one for today is, is, uh, is Mac OS related. So Mac OS 10 or X, what do you call it? I always say OS X. Yeah, yeah, 10. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think a lot of it's people say OS X. But it's 10. Is, yeah, exactly. Is there a like official answer on this? Yeah, it's 10. I mean, the, your it's senior field correspondent yeah. just told you it's OS 10. <laughs> That's <laughs> the official answer. It's definitely, it's definitely 10. Yeah. Everything, everything that prede- all of its predecessors were, were basically in numeral order up through OS 9 was the last one. And then Mac OS 10 was... The first real, I guess that was the first real one after the, uh, what was the acquisition? Next, next computer company that uh, Jobs had had started after he got ousted. Now, yeah, were so they it was numbered the version before though? They were, yes. Of the X. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the shift could have just been to letters, just saying. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I specifically, so when the iPhone 10 came out, I won a bet. $100 against my boss. We were in China and we were talking about this and he kept referring it to it as uh, the iPhone XS or XR or whatever. So like, I bet you a hundred bucks it's 10. He's like, oh yeah, you're on. Look it up. It's 10. Pay me. Yep. Okay. Mac OS 10. <laughs> it actually says 10.2 right after it says that. So sure. Uh, Jaguar released. So Apple releases codename Jaguar. For the first time, the quote happy Mac icon is not part of a Mac operating system startup process. I don't know what that is. I don't know what the happy Mac icon is, but instead replaced by the gray Apple logo that is still in use today. Oh, I think it was was like the little smiley face on the the Mac monitor. It was an old, yes, it was an old Mac classic and it had a smiley face on it. Yep. Okay. And then uh, let's see, all Mac OS releases since Jaguar have been referred to by its big cat themed code name. Uh, okay, so when was mm-hmm. this? August 23rd, what year? This is the release of 10.2? Yeah. Yes, sir. God, this feels, like, this feels like I'm in a certification exam and it's like, where do you <laughs> go in the interface on version 4.6.7.5 of this you know storage array? And it's, it's yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to go with 2003. Mm. Uh, I want to say 2002. Boom. Nailed it. I'm going to give you guys both credit. I'm going to give you guys both credit because I'm impressed that Russ got that close. I would not have gotten that close. So I was starting with four and I was like, man, I think it needs to go down at least one more year. So I, you know, my, in my slow roll, I moved it to the three. 
Okay. I think I think 10.0, 10.0, I want to say was 99, uh, like late mid to late 99. And then I think I think 10. It was 10.1, I think technically was 2001. And then 10.2 was 2002. So, hmm. yeah, that, that sounds right. Well, there you go. Totally OK, I'm going to drop. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just said I was totally guessing. Mm. Well, you nailed it, sir. Okay, for yesterday, August 22nd, The Legend of Zelda is released for the NES in North America. Considered one of the most influential games of all time, it was the forerunner of the role-playing video game genre and spawned one of the most successful series in video games history. What year? I will go with 19... 89. Okay. This, I, I would kind of need to know when the NES actually came out in order to Before answer this. Before 1989. Well, sure. I was thinking, I was thinking like 86, 87. I think the NES came out in 84. Okay. I think. Let me look so at go, July I'll, of I'll 83. With- I'm sorry. Sorry. It was July of 83. Almost eighty four. Okay. I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go. Nineteen eighty six. My final answer there. North America. I'm sorry. So, it looks like Japan was eighty three. North America was eighty five. The EU was eighty six. Uh, Brazil got it in ninety three. Wow. So, I'm sorry. What was your guess? I apologize. Uh, I think it's eighty six. Yeah, it was nineteen eighty seven. I don't Ooh. remember what Russ said. <laughs> I said 89. 89. Okay. There you go. All right. Doubled up. He won them both. Congratulations, sir. You just win bragging rights. That's weird. I I don't ever lose these. It's way easier when Tyler's here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I always loved the the gold-plated cartridge that Zelda did. I think that was the top move. That was nice. Okay. Uh, What do we have in the news today? I think you guys have dropped some in the TBP chat. Um, there's some interesting ones around, I guess, an ex-executive from Twitter uh, blowing the whistle. A lot of uh, allegations yeah. around reckless and All negligent that. cybersecurity policies. None of that article felt felt good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it didn't. It was so he was a senior security executive. If I I read this this morning, so I I, yeah. I did see this. It was. A senior security executive, he was brought in, I think, in maybe 2020 in order to try and help sure up the company's security policies and posture, right? And he mm-hmm. effectively wasn't being allowed to do his job. He he was brought in by Jack to do this. But then whenever, I, I forget the new CEO's name, the former CTO, uh, which just sort of makes me think that this is just another rift between like IT ops and security. But yeah, nonetheless... Wrong. Parag, Parag is the new CEO. Yep. I think Parag is not was not necessarily adhering to the concerns of this individual and not really giving him the support to go and solve these things. And I guess the person, the the whistleblower, as they're calling him, thought they were so egregious. He's like, uh, you know, it became a problem internally. He ended up getting fired for basically just challenging, I guess, Parag. And now he decided right. he's like, Which well, they I, just, I have was- to add out this stuff. You know, yeah, they claimed it was poor performance, right? It, well, it's hard, so, hard to perform if his claims can are mean true. whatever. 
exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Very ambiguous. Yeah. It's like, well, they wouldn't let me do my job. Yeah, but you perform poorly. It's like, uh, well, you know, mm-hmm. these are these things. Here's something that I struggle with at times. And in, in you know, watching watched a documentary the other day about someone on Netflix that was in Italy, this woman, and then she was like convicted of murder and then acquitted and then convicted again and then acquitted. And at the end of it, having conversations with people, they're like, yeah, it's, it's obvious that she did it. But it's like, while you're going through this process, you see these accusations made. I hate it whenever accusations immediately turn to like fact for people in the world. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people are probably looking at the accusations this person made, assuming that they're just fact. But there are two sides to this story. You don't know what's true and what's not. Uh, like unless he's like pulling an Edward Snowden and actually leaking the actual evidence that there's these things going on, you sort of have to you know, you gotta, you gotta play out a little bit more. No, I don't think yeah. he has. He's 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 making claims which quite honestly seem very true, right? He's alleging that the company misled the FTC, uh, our our government agency, um, Federal Trade Commission, over its security plans. So basically, just lied about their their. Um, their corporate security policies didn't protect users and all that kind of stuff. And during this timeline, that's when we also reported on this show. Gosh, what was it about a year ago? There was there was a rash of like the largest you know following accounts on Twitter that were suddenly tweeting out uh, crypto scams. Right? You had um, no, I guess it had to have been farther back from that, or maybe maybe it was. Because I remember Obama's account. I guess he was no longer president at the time. Um, and Elon's account, and there were some other just massive accounts that were that were tweeting out all this fraud. And then, like, comes out it's, that it's still a big deal, even though he wasn't president at the time. Just, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> just, um, just to be clear, yeah. Beside the point, well, I just couldn't remember because anyway, whatever on the timing. But um, it comes out that a quarter of uh, Twitter's employees had full access, keys to the kingdom, to do whatever. Right. Like that is access any account, you know, yeah. Pull, pull anybody offline uh, or tweet anything from any account, all this kind of stuff. And then that's, that's when we saw um, somebody call in and pretend to be in the IT department, trying to get access to something or other needed a security key or whatever was convincing enough and was given access. And then bam, they just went in and, and grabbed like the 15 largest accounts and started tweeting off all these scams. And so I have to believe this guy, right? I have to believe that that security is still an issue um, to which he claims, you know, that it's just chaotic, mismanaged, all this kind of stuff. So, Well, the thing to me that this is so interesting about is not the specifics of the security side. Like, trust me, I know, you know, we, we work with customers all the time. It's many of us have been in situations where it's like security is an afterthought. And so I that wouldn't surprise me. If that's the case, what's more interesting to me is all the stuff that's going on with Elon Musk, the acquisition and not acquisition of Twitter and the court case going on where he's already sort of won a significant battle here and that they are forcing them. They are forcing Twitter to turn over documents about the bot reporting that he said he was never given access to. And so that is something that's interesting here. The bots actually were a point of emphasis by this whistleblower. And I think you're seeing a significant amount of credibility potentially taken away from Twitter. And if this person gets involved in the trial in any way, then maybe more will come out. So I think the implications here are really going to, I'm sure Elon Musk is sitting here saying to himself, like, 
thank you, <laughs> you know, for <laughs> yeah. this. I'd love to be able to pull you in and, and talk about this overall. And I mean, I'm sure this guy would happily accept, uh, you know, the support of Elon Musk in any form of legal action that goes forward. Yeah. So I think that well, I think what's that wild. That's the most interesting piece of this. Yeah. And the CEO sent out a, a, um, a letter to all Twitter employees this morning addressing it. Um, so team, there are news. Yeah. News reports outlining claims about Twitter's privacy, security, and data protection practices uh, that were made by Mudge Zatko, a former Twitter executive who was terminated in January 2022 for ineffective leadership and poor performance. We're reviewing the redacted claims that have been published, but what we've seen so far is a false narrative that is riddled with inconsistencies and inaccuracies and presented without important context. So they just immediately start attacking this this uh, former executive's character. Um, ooh, this uh, I mean, some, something's, something is obviously not right over there, right? And it's hard to believe that these claims are fully factually inaccurate. What what purpose would this person have to to make things up, um, especially when they were in the the lead role um, and had that insight? I don't yep. know. It's just goofy. It's chaos over it, there, as he it, stated. It is. <laughs> it is most certainly goofy. Darren, do you have anything you would like to comment on related to the security issues at Twitter? Which Aaron isn't using anymore, except for like yesterday, whenever I saw him on it. <laughs> I was fully convinced I was off Twitter. And I said, I'm, it's not, it wasn't, wasn't on my phone anymore. And then people were like tagging me and stuff. And I was like, fine, I'll, I'll respond to my friends. What's, what's even better here is I had people sending me screenshots. They're like, he's, he's not on Twitter or is he on Twitter? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Darren, we still have Darren there. (laughs) (laughs) If not, I'm going to move on to the next thing, which might actually land a little bit more in his wheelhouse. Um, Okay, so I want to play a little bit of a guessing game uh, the other direction this time. Okay, Uh, we're going to we're going to do this a couple times. We're going to start with what dollar amount? What would be the minimum dollar amount that you would point out as like the start of the premium smartphone? sale like how much is the minimum amount spent to get a a device that you would consider a premium smartphone sale yeah thousand bucks okay that's that's actually kind of what i would have said too maybe 800 um and apparently based on based on this graph that we're about to talk about they're actually cutting this line at 400 dollars. so that's sort of an interesting thing about the bubble you and i live in or maybe just the united states in general but Okay. It starts at four hundred dollars. That's global premium, U- U.S. four hundred and above sales volume share by price band. Now I'm going to give you four price bands, and this is this. These are there's there's two interesting things we're going to get out of this. One is the percentage of market share of the price bands, and then it's going to be like what's growing and what's not. So price bands are set as follows. These are for premium smartphones. The the lowest amount, of course, is starting at four hundred dollars. So it's four hundred. To five ninety nine, four hundred a premium smartphone. I agree, but you have to think about and it, it, from the worldview perspective, right? Yeah, um, super super cheap stuff. Like there's like this Google, I think it's called Android One or something. I'm not sure. It's yeah. meant for like super super inexpensive phones and like you know less developed areas of the world. So I'm sure they're just taking all that into account. So starting can, at four hundred dollars. Sorry. Sorry, Please I'm go ahead. Just, I'm 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 chaos on this call or yeah, on this yes, uh, podcast. Are. I'm sorry. I know I always am, um, but I have uh, noticed too that they've anytime you go to any 
any like go to iPhone or go to Samsung, whatever. They don't want to lead with the price of the phone anyway. It's always, is it 20 bucks a month, 30 bucks a month, 40 bucks a month, whatever. Oh. So the whole idea of hiding that total cost of the phone is going away anyway, right? Yeah, and, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, so many people care so much about like, you know, ARR, MRR, especially for publicly traded companies that are trying to appease the street. So that'll be interesting because I do think we're going to have a return to more proper fundamentals from a financial management and valuation perspective. But maybe we spend some time talking about that on a, on a financial Friday with with old Nicholson, who, who roasted me about RCS on Twitter a couple nights ago. Um, him and I actually <laughs> had a good laugh about that because I, I sent him, I was like, I don't know if you listened to the episode, but I actually predicted this was going to happen. It was pretty funny. Um, anyway, so I we're going to go these four tiers. Hey, I'm back. All right. Real question. Yay. Now. Would, would, you rather, a- would you rather have the old carrier subsidized system or do you prefer it the way it is now? Ooh, Ooh. I much prefer it the way it is now. Not yeah, a fan same. of the carrier subsidized. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was, it I, was even when it was subsidized, I, uh, I bought my phones in full. So I'm going to clearly say that I prefer uh, prefer it to be the the way it is now. I, I don't actually have any issues with the whole subscription piece. What I struggle with is whenever subscription is your only option, because I am a, yeah. I'm a perfect person who likes uh, <laughs> limited. I, I'm, I'm the opposite of Tyler. I prefer less leverage um, and I prefer more capital expenses. It's just the way my, my mind works. And so um, I buy, I buy most of these things outright, but anyways, let's go through these four tiers. 400 to 599. That's going to be a certain percentage of the market in they're, they're measuring this from Q1 of 21 to Q1 of 22. So these are the that's the year that we're that we're looking at. So 400 to 599, 600 to 799, 800 to 999 and $1000 and above. So you can assume there's these $200 jumps, right? Where they consider these different points of market share. There are <clears throat> interesting very interesting shifts here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the percentages in Q1 2021. And then I want you to try and guess the percentages in Q1 2022. Yep. Okay. So 400 to 599, that 400 to 600 ish dollar range. That's Mm -hmm. the lowest point here. 33%. 33% of the market. 33% of the market. Yep. And uh, that is the biggest number. Yeah, it's it's much higher, right? But you have to remember, like, so many people buying inexpensive Android phones, relatively, of course, right? And then there's like this whole market of like the Pixel A series. There's the iPhone Mini series, right? I mean, like that's how my dad got started in the iPhones. He got a mm. he got a Mini, and then and then I bought him the uh, whichever the one last year was. And so, sure. and this is global, the, right? This is global. This is all global. Okay. Very important to keep in mind. So, four hundred five ninety nine, thirty three percent. 600 to 799, 30%, so 3% lower. Yep. 800 to 999, 28%, so 2% lower. And then 1,000 and above, 9%. So 33, 30, 28, and 9. Basically, the more expensive it got, the lower percentage market share that it has. Sure. Now, this was in Q1 of 2021. So... Q1 2022, we're going to start the guessing. Remember, 400 to 599 was at 33%. Where do you expect Q1 2022 to be on a percentage basis? For each of these? Yeah. Um, Growth or declined? 
and give a estimated percentage. They're at 33% in Q1 2021. Where is it in 22? Uh, so I would I, say, I'm going to say, yeah, go ahead, Darren. No, I was just going to say, so just taking them category by category, I would say the 400 to 599 likely went down. I agree. And I would say, I would say maybe 28%. I like that. I was going to say sub 30, 28%. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're both very close. Uh, you're accurate. They did go down. 400 yeah. to 599 is now at 24%. It dropped 9%. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It is like the uh, whole assumption that I think Darren and I are making is that just the 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 mean is moving way up that um it is yeah uh yep. that that chart yeah which okay. which I think I do think is fair closer um, to that so, closer to the six fifty to eight fifty if I could have like bracket in between those two middle ones sure so so, so that was a thirty two percent drop from four ninety nine to five ninety nine so now we're gonna move to six hundred to seven ninety nine which in twenty twenty one was a 30% market share. Now where is 600 to 799 and 22? Mm. What do you want to say, Darren? Mm, I'm going to go, we're talking 600 to 799, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And it was at 30% in 21. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking it probably goes up uh, 3%. Let's say 33%. Mm. I was going to say 29%. Okay. Uh, Zook is on his game today. It's 34%. It went up 4%. Wow. Nice. Now we're going to okay. move to the 800 to 999 range, which was at 28% in Q1 of 21. Where is and, it we've already, and we've already logged 58%. That's correct. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to guess, Zook, that the 1,000 plus is still pretty low. Maybe it went up a little bit. Um, I think thousand plus. Process- I think thousand plus went up probably by a point, maybe two. And I would so you want say to call it eleven. The, yeah. So if, and if I that went the, up two, yeah, then we're at thirty-one for the eight hundred and right. to nine ninety-nine. All right, we we're going to lock it in at thirty-one. Okay, thirty-one for eight hundred to nine ninety-nine, and it was at twenty-eight percent in Q one. Fifteen percent minus fifteen percent. Oh yeah, people are and balling with their thousand plus. That's what I'm wow. saying. This thing yeah. gets messed up. So we're at a thousand and above at nine percent, which I'll just give the other percentage. Obviously, we've sort of worked through this math now. Twenty-seven percent of smartphones up one hundred and sixty-four percent are a thousand dollars and above. Wow, which is a absolutely insane statistic. And if you want to know what the article is, it says smartphone demand drops for all but the most expensive models which there's a lot of reasons for this but it's just it's a fairly wild um, it's tripling it's tripling the market share for a thousand plus nine percent to 27 percent and you know what i mean that's why i feel like i had the perception of like why is i mean i don't think any i'm not seeing any advertised 400 to 599 phones because you are a person from an affluent area of the most affluent country in the world. Right. And this is a global thing. Like that's, that's the bubble that we live in, not right or wrong, just the reality. And what's funny to me, if you look on Twitter, fairly global audience, although from a social media perspective, let's be honest, it's fairly small. It's it's a lot of people. Twitter. Twitter is the thing that you were getting off of, but you're currently on. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it has no security by the way. So you probably should have stayed off (laughs) the, 
the thing that's interesting here is everyone complaining when phones hit a thousand dollars, right? I, I, candidly, I was probably one of them, and it was like all these phones are a thousand dollars now. They don't have the subsidies to Zook's part, but but yet all the complaints you see, which is this echo chamber of people who want to go complain about things, but then they just people just go buy them. So it's just sort of a it's a fascinating thing, and it makes me wonder if this is like the Peloton effect. And I think we've talked about this before, which is Peloton was not popular whenever it first came out and its bike was like 600 bucks. They raised that price to like $1,900 and all of a sudden they exploded or 2,100. It was the same bike. There was this idea hmm. that more expensive, more premium, you know, certainly made it more valuable. I, I, I think that, um, <laughs> I think that a lot of people just, if you look like the iPhone 13 pro max ultra mega, like that thing, the battery life in it was unreal. And that's always been a complaint for a lot of people. And so I think that a lot of people saw that, the premium features of just like raw practicality of, I'm going to keep this phone for a long time and I'd love to have long battery life. Let's roll with that. And I think that drove a significant amount of this because Apple has gained a lot of share in the last like two, three years because mm -hmm. they used to be like 20% in the U.S., but somewhere, or sorry, 20% overall in the, in the, in the world and like 40% in the U S and now it's like flipped. They're like 60% in the U S and like 40% in the world, which is wild. So not, not that, to pull us backwards, major, major growth. Yeah, that is, that's fascinating. Um, it's crazy. Growth. I have some thoughts about that, but just to like, let's go back. So just two and a half weeks ago, Twitter came out and confirmed that they had a zero day exploit that was used to expose 5.4 million accounts. I don't worry. Like about This that. was just in the news two weeks ago. It's not important. If you have any, if you have a, an email address or phone number for somebody, you can use that or you, you could use it to retrieve an associated account ID. And they're selling this information anyway. So what's the problem there? I'm I'm missing the point. Security flaw. Security flaw. That that sounds fine. Um, no, there's there's no no complacency here. But I will be honest. It's like there's so many security flaws that have happened over the course of the last whatever yeah. five years. Like well, and if you're whenever, my, whenever something gets exposed, it's like yeah, my my information is probably in there, and yeah. it was in there four times before. You know, which isn't good. That's not good. Like I have identity protection for these types of things, but it's. You know, it's crazy the amount of exposure so many of us have had, especially those of us who were in these services early, like all three of us, right? Because of our yeah. age. So I think that that was the, you know, downside of that yeah. lots of exposure. I do have if to wonder. Following my non-Twitter thread the other day, uh, when I was taking the app security training that I was that I was assigned, uh, it repeated over and over. It's not if, it's when your application um, gets compromised, right? Very true. Yeah. Um, you also have to wonder what uh what, what what's going on in Elon's head right now as he's watching all of this <laughs> unfold with the whistleblower. whistleblower. Like I just, I just think I'm just thinking the best day of his life, man. I really do. I think yeah. he's super happy about it. It's affirmation. He's like he's like, hey, he's like, I told you that you have absolutely no visibility into the bots that are on your platform. Yet you tell me that it makes up what what, what was the like absolutely ridiculous number that they came out with. That was the bot number. They said it was like less than 10% of their users. Yeah. I, I think, think they it said was less than 5%. Less than yeah. five. Yeah. That's what I remember. No one yeah. actually believes that. Yeah. Well, here's my struggle with the whole Twitter Elon Musk thing. They didn't want Elon Musk to buy this company. Like they fought him on this. And I and I'm on the record. Well, who's they? Sorry, thing. who's I gotta stop you because Jack. Jack, okay. appro apparently it's coming out that Jack approached Elon and said, hey, 
I trust you. I would love for you to come run this company, right? Because I, 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 th- I think also, I mean, Jack is like, you know, eyeballs deep into Bitcoin uh, and he knows he has a friend in cryptocurrency, uh, Elon, um, whether it's for serious or not, he's kind of a, you know, bit of a joking around with Dogecoin kind of a person. But it comes out that Jack actually asked Elon to do this. Elon expressed um, um, interest. So maybe you're talking about the board. But then well, like, the board is yeah, now trying to force him to buy it. The, the company that, or the, the, the team that, that makes these decisions, right? So yeah, so forgetting Jack for a moment, I mean, we recognize they have a relationship. When this whole first thing happened, the board took a poison pill to prevent him from being able to acquire it. And on the show, I stated, I was like, this is a good deal. Like they should be taking this. And I'm guessing they came around to that in some point, cause now they're trying to force him to buy it yeah. at that price. Well, they wanted to do it a certain way. They didn't want him to just, they didn't want to let him just buy shares on the open market. So they well, wanted to do I, it a certain way. That's not the way acquiring a company works though. I mean, they, uh, they have, there's, well, they know, have but to if you, go through the board approval. Well, right. And he wasn't following the, the law. He was just buying shares on the open market and not telling anyone, which also became an issue. And now Elon is a, He's subpoenaing uh, Jack. He's he's requiring him to come to court to, to like basically be a witness through all of this. It's insane. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're gonna have. I'm gonna have to dig into that more because there's there's no process. That, there's no way he could skirt this process. So Elon, as smart as he is, if he thought he was gonna go into the open market and acquire a company without the board involvement, was never <laughs> going to happen. That's just it's not even possible. So well, I don't know what. He was skirting to to try and make this work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he bought up to like nine percent of. Yeah, he had like nine or ten percent. But yeah, because the, well, at ten percent, he has rules. to declare it. No, it's like five well, percent. At like five percent, he was supposed to declare it, and he didn't. He probably was also making the assumption that hey, the board is going to do what's in the best interest of the shareholders. I don't think right. that he thought that the board was going to take the poison pill approach you, and you mean their you know, job. whoever to block it. He, he thought that they were, yeah, that they were going to do the jobs that they had been essentially hired to do. And they, they failed on their fiduciary responsibility to some degree. Yeah. And here's the thing. Like when you ask, I'd love to know what Elon was thinking through this or is thinking through this. I think Darren, you asked that. That's why yeah. I just laughed because I can never tell if Elon is playing 4d chess or if he's just not thinking at all. And he thinks something is funny and he just does it. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like it feels yeah. like both could be true. <laughs> You know what's on? What's what I honestly think, I honestly don't even think. I, in my opinion, it's in the middle, and it's not a cop out because I think these are genuine thoughts that run through Elon's head, and I don't believe that it is as it is as extravagant as him intentionally playing a game like forty chess. Like I think it's just sure. the way his brain works. Yeah, I, of course, it's all speculation, but like in my mind, that's the way it it seems to me. Anyways, when yeah. I think of Elon, like, I don't think, you know, I mean, there's certainly times where he's trolling people, which candidly is the most fun thing. But well, that's the thing, dude. I can't tell. Like when he says when he's arguing about the number of bots and then he's on Twitter arguing with the CEO and he's saying, OK, well, I am just going to take a random sample of 100 of my followers and see how many of them are bots or whatever. It's like, OK, if you know anything about sample size and you have to you have to assume that he does understand statistics to have done what he has done and do what he is doing with, with cars and Mars. Um, like, how does that make sense? 
Like, is he off his rocker or does he think it's funny or is he trolling people? I don't know. I think it's a combination um, of all the above. I mean, did you see? Did you see the uh, the letter that he posted from like I forget what was the uh, there was a college or something like that that he was supposed to go to, and he got a le- he got a letter from the professor of of the college that was going to end up being his professor talking about battery technology, and the the professor essentially told him in the letter that you know his his assessment of the battery technology was dead on, and that they had just done a whole bunch of research on it, and ultimately came to the same conclusion. And he's like, I just wanted to basically let you know that, you know, you uh, you ended up OK, uh, even though you didn't come to my class is essentially more or less what it what it, what it <laughs> boiled down to. But it was it was just it was a fascinating. Yeah, it was just. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's there's no telling what's going on in his head, um, but I think it's a combination of all those things. I think he absolutely loves to troll people because he understands the ridiculousness that just comes from, you know, today's culture. And yeah. I think he just he wants to go against the grain. It's it's the it's the way he's wired. Um, but at the same time, I think there's also some of it where it's just he says what he's thinking and he doesn't really care what the you know, what the response to that is going to be. Yeah. Well, he also doesn't so, seem to care about the SEC and their opinions on things. That's I, I'm doing some I'm doing some live fact checking because I don't think you're right on that, Aaron. Right? Because I I'm looking at I'm looking at an SEC filing right now when he bought 9.2 yeah. percent stake on Twitter. Regulatory documents show it. Boom, like right there. I think that what you're referring to is he, he had some issues with the SEC from a prior deal, not with Twitter, but in other like uh, like maybe even with That's PayPal well, or, or maybe it was Tesla. Yeah, like I, he certainly had his. Him and the SEC are not on good terms, but I don't think it was around Twitter. Now, SEC is investigating his deal into Twitter to acquire it, which is you yeah. would expect no, it him was, to do. But it was about this, the amount of shares that he bought. He he bought he bought more than he's legally allowed to without um, without um, I don't know publicly announcing that he was doing it because yeah, of I thought- the. The amount that he's buying has an effect on the market and the market share. Well, he, and he o- he only has to announce to the SEC; he doesn't have to send a tweet about it. Well, I think Which he, he shares, I have the document in front of. Me. He yeah. bought it in like he bought it in like smaller chunks, and it essentially added up to the nine percent. And he did it over the course of like a couple of weeks, if I recall. And right. it was just that once he hit a certain threshold, he had to essentially report that he had bought, you know, that much stake in the company. And he didn't do it, I think, based on like his final purchase. He did it after the fact or something like that. And yeah. that's ultimately what landed them in some hot water. Right. He so it's going into this here and it's saying that Musk Twitter posts have lauded him in trouble. Uh the the SEC sued Musk for fraud in September of 18 claiming he misled investors with a tweet from August of that year stating that the funding had been secured to take Tesla private at $420 per share. 420 is the recurring joke, blah, 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 blah. And so- yeah, No, what I'm what I'm talking about is there's, so, in, so investors had an issue with, so Musk apparently saved him, people calculated, $156 million by failing to disclose that he had purchased more than 5% of Twitter by March 14th, which is when he had done that. Once he went past 5%, he is now legally obligated to disclose this and is now, you you can assume, buying shares under their market value. Because if it was widely known that he had that he owned 5%, which nobody knew except for himself and maybe, maybe a few other people, 
then you would have seen the market react and Twitter share price would have gone up. And if he wanted to continue to buy shares of Twitter, he would now have been buying them at a, at a greater price. But instead, he saved himself on a six months. And I'll, and I'll look through the filing because it'll show the yeah. details. But like, I if he owned 4.9% and then bought another 5%, then... Yeah. No, he was over 5%, didn't disclose. A month and a half went by. Then he discloses later on that he's at like 9%. And people are like, whoa, 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 when did you pass 5%? Because you should have said something. And he says, oh, that was back on March 14th. And the SEC well, is like, yeah, we didn't on know April this. First. So yeah. where's the month and a half? Um, or whatever. Maybe it's two weeks. I'm sorry. I guess I was looking at the date of this article. Cause it was like in yeah. May or something, but yeah, no, it was about two weeks anyway. Yeah, it's fine. You'll I'm, do the research I'm, and you'll see that I'm right. I'm gonna have to look into it. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not impossible, <laughs> but I'll be honest. It's so unlikely that you're right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's not like Tyler level of being wrong. It, there's, there is, I mean, I do feel like I'm having to like really lead you both along on this most of the time, but it's okay. You're, you're doing great and you're getting better. You know, that's okay. why I love you. Let me let me switch because I'm super curious since we have our senior field correspondent for all things Apple on the on the phone. Uh, Apple plans to begin manufacturing the iPhone 14 in India about two months after its release, shortening the production gap between India and China. Can you can you tell me a little like what do you know about how much of Apple's how, like what percentage of Apple's iPhones have been manufactured in China? Every single one of the ones that I've ever purchased said designed. Um, in in uh, California. California assembled in China. Well, now I'm seeing they're starting to shift some things to. I think it was, it was. Oh, I can't remember where it was. It was another nation um, in the southeast. Yeah, um, I was it South Korea. Um, no, Viet I can't remember where it was. But they're shifting some things out of out of China. I didn't realize that they made anything in India. Is that new, or have they been doing that? No, it, so they've been working to diversify their supply chain for a while now. Um, and, and part of that has been, you know, some of the assembly process is now starting to shift into other countries. Um, they actually have like their, they actually have like their supply chain stuff, usually pretty public. I think the last full report I saw was like fiscal year 2020. And it's like, it was, it was some, it was ridiculous. It was like 17 or 20 pages long or something like that. Um, but yeah, th so this is something that they've been they've been working to do for a while now. Um, they've they've had some stuff, obviously, in uh, in Taiwan. Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of chuckling because I'm thinking of uh, your your funny uh, <laughs> meme. Calling or China West we, Taiwan. Yeah, West Taiwan. That yes. one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they've been they've been you know looking at pulling different manufacturing processes into other countries to help diversify from China, just because of obviously U.S.-China trade relations continue to escalate, continue to get worse. Um, I think they've only gotten worse here over the last few years. Um, and so they're trying to make that less of a dependency. Obviously, I think the bulk of it is still happening, you know, mainland China. Um, but they did start. So India is one of them. And then there's another one as well. And it's escaping me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's somewhere in that region. Um, so, but yeah, they're, I mean, they, they, this is something that they've made very, very clear. Um, they want to diversify. They want to be more than just, you know, assembled in China. Um, 
which I think is good, right? I mean, that's that's good for the world at large, um, you know, to see investments in other countries. So hopefully it continues to go that direction. Yeah, I'm trying We, to we have that. to decentralize. Vietnam. Vietnam is where it was. Vietnam, they're they're shifting it, yeah. Apple Watch and MacBook to, um, yep. to Vietnam uh, for the first time ever. Yeah, I think the sad part is I think uh, a lot of the shipping still, it, it still goes through China to get to oh, sure. the U.S., um, but yeah. yeah, a big part of it, but yeah, they've got to start seeding these other areas. So, which is a good thing overall. I do have to bring us back for a moment. SEC okay. did not sue Elon Musk for this Twitter sued Elon Musk because they believed it was apparent that he did not file within the appropriate 10 days after you take a 5% stake, not there before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you just have to your, say something. Once you're over 5%, you have to say something. And so the, the argument days. there was that he didn't. Oh, did he? But within, he did? Within, within 10 days. And it's yeah. it's not the SEC saying that he didn't. It is Twitter saying that he didn't. So the facts okay. of that case have not even come out because this is a disclosure between Twitter and him. And they were unhappy because, once again, they didn't want him to buy this company, that he gotcha. was able to buy more for a lower price. But it is showing here that they're saying that they think he was able to buy 4.1% within the like right after that time frame before he announced in that particular time span. They're not saying that that's what they believe the increase is in this time frame from and this is once again Twitter, yeah. not the SEC. And it well, doesn't happen yes. before, it can happen after. Uh yeah. Okay. So I guess he must have there's a, there's a 10 day gap 10 based days. off of yeah. what looks like the it is called the the deadline, the 10-day filing deadline under Section 13D and 13G of the Securities Act of 1933 to report 5% ownership in a public company. So once you get that 5% or more, you need to, you have 10 days to go tell people about it. And let me it's just say, the way. SEC seems to always just turn a blind eye to him anyway, right? He's constantly tweeting <laughs> things that are very... He disagrees. <laughs> well, uh, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them take any action that is meaningful against him. Maybe but he's constantly tweeting things like Tesla is overpriced. You cannot tweet that. You can't, you cannot tweet your opinion about how your company is priced on the open market. You can't. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe the SEC disagrees. The it's their uh, rules. They get to interpret them. Rules yep. are interpretations. Just saying. It, it is interesting, though. I agree. Just the fact that they haven't taken action if it's something that you truly can't do. Like yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, well, but at the same time, you know, this is the this is you know a U.S. regulatory body that we're talking about, which you know U.S. regulatory entities are not very good at consistency to begin with. So I don't know what just, you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. This yeah. seems fine. Hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see what else we got here with the time we have remaining. Do you want to get into the CSAM thing? Yeah, sure, you can if you want. I didn't thing? read it, but it's, sure, it, it seemed kind of weird that, uh, yeah. that Google stood by. But I don't know the details of it. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, us. so, I mean, essentially uh, this. So the New York Times published a story. Um, it is behind a paywall, um, but there's various different sites that are reporting a synopsis on it. Um, you know, of basically a father had to take photos of. Uh, his his child's uh, nether regions. So we'll, we'll we'll go there um, uh, for you know doctor uh, because this was I guess at the height of COVID, um, right at the beginning of COVID, where you know we weren't doing a whole lot of doctor visits and otherwise. 
And a, yeah, a father had noticed that there was some inflammation or rash and otherwise. And so, you know, they had, he had taken photos and based on doctor request so that they could, you know, diagnose remotely and they did so and had, uh, prescribed some sort of antibiotic and everything cleared up and everything was fine. A few days later, the father finds that his Gmail account, uh, his uh, Google Fi account, um, and as well as I think his phone number, all had been suspended by Google um, for violating basically, uh, and I don't know if it, they, they basically had classified these photos as CSAM inside of you know their database and through their overall uh, inspection process of, you know, of these photos. And yeah, so basically he lost all access to, uh, all of his Google accounts and, you know, everything else along those lines. And it it just, it brings up a lot of interesting questions. You know, obviously this goes back to, I think we talked about it on the show, um, over a year ago now where Apple was, you know, looking at, you know, device side fingerprinting, um, for CSAM imagery. Um, but I think what's really interesting about this is that, you know, certainly, you know, you have the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's database of CSAM imagery. But in this particular case, this image, you know, being that it was an image that was taken, you know, of, you know, of his child that he took himself, there was no way for this image to be in the CSAM database. So Google is actually doing, you know, inspection of photos that are being uploaded into, you know, their cloud um, for anything that they might classify as, you know, CSAM imagery, and then it's being inspected after the fact. And in this particular case, and I think what's most unique is the fact that even after this, you know, it was determined that, Hey, this was completely lawful, you know, that, you know, the authorities looked into it and everything. Google yeah, did Google absolutely- notify the San Francisco police department or how, how did the, how did the PD get involved? They must have. That's a good question. And, and I'm not sure how they, I think, I think what happened there was Google has to report it once they, yeah. once they find it, they have to report it. Um, right. And so the authorities to came. To which they, they opened an investigation. It. Yeah. And, yep. and cleared him of criminal wrongdoing, right? Right. But Google still refuses to reinstate any of his accounts. Yeah. Which that's is tough. Crazy. To which they were asked, and, and I guess a Google spokesperson responded, we follow US law in defining what constitutes CSAM and use a combination of hash matching technology and artificial intelligence to identify it and remove it from our platforms. And yeah, they just stand by the decision and he doesn't have Google accounts anymore. Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating because this is, you know, this is just another reason why Google are a bunch of idiots, but it's like, there's got to be detail here we don't have because I'm, you know, I'll just be very transparent. Like I have pictures of my two year old, you know, in the bath. So, yeah. and I, I use Google products. I mean, they're uploaded to Google Photos. What's the difference? Yeah, it, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, and and the one synopsis I posted was uh, from Daring Fireball, which is John Gruber, but he he made the comment here, Love and I'll John. read this. Yeah, he said he said Google's system was seemingly in the wrong in Mark's case, and the company's checks and balances failed as well. Google permanently deleted his, his account, including his Google Fi cellular plans. And he lost both his longtime email address and his phone number, along with all other data that he had stored in Google Cloud. But it's worth noting that Apple's proposed fingerprinting system generated several orders of magnitude more controversy than Google's already in-place system ever has, simply because Apple's proposal involved device-side fingerprinting, where Google's system runs on their servers. 
And the biggest thing that this reminded me is, you know, you go back to the fact that, you know, all of these companies have a terms of service. And if their terms of service, like most of them do, basically essentially state that when you start uploading your data onto their servers, it's no longer only your data. It's now yeah, it their, their data, data as well. And they reserve the right to do whatever they want with it, as well as they reserve the right to revoke your access based upon, you know, failed checks and balances. Um, so let's, it was just, it was a really actually honest here yeah. though, and, and point out the fact that Google also doesn't even get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to like privacy related issues. So if you found out that Google was like watching your cameras in your house while you were walking around with no clothes on, you would be like, Oh, that's not surprising. But if Apple were doing it, it'd be a big deal because they don't do these things right per, per marketing and stuff like that. So there's an sure. element of like the image side of this where, when Google is spying, the answer is that's what Google does. When Apple does it, it is we're going against all of our values. So that's that's an that's a major reason why I think that this blew up. And then also the other side of this, let's remember the CSAM is a super, super slippery slope um, of like what can you know what what agency is going to come to Apple or, or to Google or whatever it is, especially if it's on your device, and be like, I need you to now track for this thing or for that thing. And that was the major issue that people were blowing up about was like, where does this end if it starts doing this? Uh, and I think that this is an example. I recognize it's not on device, but I still think that this is an example of, I'm just going to assume probably this going horribly wrong. Cause I'm, I'm going to assume positive intent on like the father's side of what's happening here. And so I think mm -hmm. that this is an example to give credence to the major blow up that happened. I think, yeah, like I said, like a year ago, where the big, big concern was not just Apple on the device, but like, could the NSA or, you know, could Russia yeah. or whoever come to them and say, now you need to do this. Or actually, I think the big issue was China because Apple's servers and everything they do are in China. They host it all there. So I think it was like, what if they come and say, now that you can do this, you need to expand it to X, Y, or Z. And, and I understand, I definitely understand that problem uh, as a big concern. Yeah, but I mean, you I don't still see do. How that, yeah, go ahead. I don't see how that's any different, though, than than you know, a Google or Facebook or anybody else's situation. Because at the end of the day, anything anything that's on your phone. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, you know, we're we're twenty first century. Like anything that's on your phone is being uploaded to the cloud. At least eighty. I, well, at least eighty five to ninety percent of it. You know, and so from that standpoint, a a simple warrant or, you know, subpoena of some sort to any of those cloud platforms is going by any government entity is going to get them access to that data. Not so necessarily I, China, I, though, for Google, right? So if that's a problem for Google, if China was the biggest blow up here at that time, that's not an issue for Google because they don't operate there. Right. So does, well, does it not disturb y'all? Does it not disturb y'all that there's a team at Google that reviews all these images that are flagged by AI? And like, that's well, your I job mean, is to sit there and look at learned, CSAM images all day. Like that's disgusting. I don't, I mean, I, it's absolutely disgusting. And I mean, we learned the same thing is true of Facebook. Facebook has teams and they have, you know, they have like therapists like on staff solely for those people because of some of the yeah. images that they see, not just CSAM, but like, you know, violence and sure. you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, and getting murdered. And, and, oh, if I remember correctly, yeah. Facebook's was in reported situations, right? Was it not? Like you, when you're in, what's it called? Um, chat app. What's the chat app? WhatsApp. Telegram? Um, WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
when you're in WhatsApp, at least for at least for that segment of the business, like their particular thing is whenever you click on a message or an image or whatever it is and you report it and it pops it pops up and says this is this you know segment of the chat is going to be sent to x y or z to to review like that's that's what those people are reporting right or like shit and i'm sorry stuff in the chat family friendly show um that that's not saying that that's good either but i do think that theirs was implicit on like reporting what someone perceived to be a problem and i think there's an element of that in platforms that are shared amongst people that probably is always or maybe even should exist. I don't know where that line is, but like the actual reporting mechanism and then it's reviewed, I think is an, an element of of their side of it. I don't know about it on the Facebook side or how any of that works, but I just remember that specifically from the uh, WhatsApp portion. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> Man. Okay. Nuance. Uh, yeah. so we, there, you guys else? just in general uh, I don't know I mean we got we got really no more time left I got to jump on another call me too yeah I don't think uh, I don't think anything I'll leave it with a comment because I haven't read the article but the uh, tagline on it or the title was interesting top Wall Street analyst compares TikTok to crack cocaine saying growing domination of short form video may ruin the internet and I would like to end the show <laughs> By saying that, I agree with him. So, uh, <laughs> old, man yells at cloud. <laughs> old man yells at cloud. Old man yells at cloud. I don't care. Um, I don't like it. I don't like TikTok. Get it off your phones, people. Anyways, uh, yeah. that'll do. Well, for let me ask episode. you. Hold on. What? Sorry. Let me, let me ask you your opinion. Okay. I know. I know. But you said something provocative here. Uh, okay. Let's sure. assume that all of the issues of, of TikTok and the data being used and who owns it and blah, 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 blah. Right. All that's aside and fine. The, do you still have a problem with what TikTok is? No, no. I, my and issue is with China. China. Okay. All right. Yeah. My issue is a hundred percent with China. I don't actually have an issue with social media. I do struggle at times with like concentration of power. Like I struggle with the fact that like, why did Amazon buy Roomba? Yeah. Like, do they not have enough Bad lines product. of business at this point? <laughs> You know, yeah. like I struggle to, to map with out the stuff. inside of your house was the joke at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's what like I definitely. What do they need to know concentration? Yeah, right. Yeah. They just they just got to know. But I so I do struggle a little bit with like concentration of power and like. But I you know at the same time, if TikTok was not owned by a country that I candidly, I'll just be completely honest. I just don't trust in any way, shape, or form in any at all, like none, zero. Sure. That I don't think you stand I, alone in that opinion. Yeah, I recognize, but I think some people are afraid to to state it outright, especially publicly. Sure. I think in in this particular instance, if TikTok were just like whatever, you know, some startup in the valley, and they were competing yeah. against Facebook and YouTube, I think that would be great because I am a supporter sure. of capitalism, and I believe that that competition is a good thing. So yeah. that it would actually be positive because. <laughs> be honest, TikTok is almost a marvel. It's like, it's the one thing that's been able to break into the space and stand on its own two sure. feet. So from that standpoint, great work by that team. I just don't trust that government. So yeah, yeah. that's, that's what it comes and down I, to for me. I'm split on the side of, again, and I'm with you from the capitalism perspective of, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that they were able to create something that, that became that addictive, uh, and, and took over, uh, market share. The other side of me is I don't appreciate how addictive it is. And I think it, it, it preys on on minds in a way that is not healthy, and that's yeah. that's 
who are my issues if you set all the other stuff aside right all of the security and the ownership and all that stuff aside so can people just use again the i go back to look create create whatever right. app that you can create as long as it's not against the law right so yeah but even still you go. it's dude it's it's crazy just use youtube people it's fine it's got short videos too okay <laughs> just use that if you're an american do whatever you want to if you're in china whatever that's fine i get it but that's what i got to say on that one and that is gonna do it i think maybe who put a question mark on the teleprompter going yeah right. yeah shut it down man let's chat again on friday another episode of the tech breakfast podcast tyler wasn't able to join us today i'm sure he would have had all plenty of opinions in there he also i'm pretty sure has like an identic memory and just remembers everything that was said in the past so that probably would have gotten me and aaron in trouble in past episodes so i'm glad he wasn't <laughs> there for that part but Nonetheless, uh, thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Please share it with your friends and your family and tell everyone about it. And if you listen to other podcasts uh, out there, make sure that they know that we're coming for them. It's going to be number one on the charts soon. Peace. Mm-hmm.